Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, it's been some time. As you can notice, I'm filling out my shirts a bit more, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I'm, I'm greatly excited to be able to share with you guys this morning uh, just of just my experience over the last little while. Some of you may know, some of you may not know, but um, I think I won't cry, but there's a strong possibility that I might. If I do, just go with the awkwardness until I gather myself again. Um, but um, we're starting a new series called Behold. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think, I think the, the, the thinking behind it or the goal behind this series is really, in as much as, as church is about all of us, and I felt this of my own experience as well, that I've, I've been wondering if right now in this season, God wants to very very uniquely and specifically make this thing just about you. Not even like in a selfish way or like a boastful way, but um, yes, the church, God cares about the church and he wants us to get to a point of gathering again. Absolutely. But I'm wondering if God wants to do specific stuff in our specific stories just for you. Like, and that's not to be taken for granted. And I think too often we've attached our faith and our journey to what church does. And I don't think that that's what God actually wants for us. Yes, be part of a church, and let's all go on a journey together. But there's a specific journey that God wants to walk with you. So we're kind of, we're kind of re- responding to um, uh, the last season in that way that this part of your journey is potentially just uniquely yours. And you have every right to be selfish. You can quote me on that. <laughs> um, but for those that have been coming to Olive Tree for a while, you all know the drill. Um, there are three things you're allowed to say while I preach which I'm going to expect because this is our first Sunday back, so you're allowed to make all the noise that you, you have missed making. Um, so, you can, <laughs> so you can say, preach it, you can say, amen, or you can say, ride that bus. You all know which one's my favorite. Um, but I'm going to pray, and I'm going to jump into this message. I'm going to just use my notes on my phone, if that's all right. Um, God, thank you so much that um, we're, we're able to gather again in, in your house. Um, won't you speak to us ever so specifically this morning? Our hearts are open, our minds are open, our expectancy is high. Won't you have your way this morning, Lord Jesus? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to read from Exodus 14, uh, chapter 14, and it goes like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near something um, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the God of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that they pursued the Israelites who were marching, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, uh, horsemen and troops, 
pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near, near um, Pai Hahiroth, that place, um, opposite Baal Zephon. Um, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, uh, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it, uh, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And I'm going to pause there because I want to speak on an idea that I think um, most of us or all of us might have missed. And this is what I learned from my past experience as well. Like, I wonder if pressure is our privilege. I'm going to unpack what that means. But have you ever felt under pressure? Now, the pressure that I'm speaking about is not just the pressure from procrastinating and then you have to complete something the very next, for the very next day or, or a deadline or whatever. Not that kind of pressure. I'm talking about uh, the, like water pressure. Where, so, you know, the deeper you go into the ocean, the greater the volume of water above you. So the, that weight causes water pressure. So being so supremely overwhelmed. And what seems like that's, that's the wrong question to ask at this point. The more accurate question to ask would be, when have you felt that kind of pressure? I can, I can tell you that for the first time in my life, I felt that kind of pressure um, over the, the Christmas season. Now, what I'm about to share, please, I, 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 and I said this last week at, at Florida Road as well, I love you guys very much, um, but please don't come up to me afterwards and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. I, I, I realize that I, I actually don't. I don't like that. <laughs> um, it just does things to me. Um, so I receive your, your, your condolences from a very far place. Um, and I know that you guys mean it very well, but please let me, let me be. <laughs> um, but on Christmas Eve uh, last year, my sister passed away from COVID. Now, she was already high risk because she had a comorbidity. Um, I think I told you guys that she had lupus, right? No? Uh, so she, she had lupus, and, and so she was, she was already like a high risk, and it was a topsy-turvy journey where, where she got it and it seemed like she was going to be okay, went into ICU, came out of ICU, and, and passed away in just like a general ward. Like we, this is, after she came out of ICU, you imagine that our, our hopes began to rise at that point. For the first time in my life, and, and I'm convinced that if I had enough money, I would, I would have probably resigned from work. I would have um, left church. I would have maybe left God for a little while because um, I was very, very deeply hurt. Because um, you, obviously when you get the news, you're like, you, you pray and you trust God to do something. I remember there was a certain point now when I'd kind of come back and I literally said these words to God and, and I think that this was an okay thing to do or even say. I asked him, why didn't you save her? Like I lamented, like the stuff that's happening in my heart. Why didn't you save her? I felt so much pressure from that experience, like, in this, like emotional, um, psychological, spiritual, that my only solution was to actually leave things. Like 
I, I wanted to be left alone, not even to be left alone with my own mind, because that's also a dangerous thing to do. But I wanted to get away from work, because it had like its own pressures to have to engage with people, and like, because I didn't want to tell anyone what was going on. Um, uh, and then my friends as well, like I wanted to restrict that to a certain degree as well. Uh, and I just wanted to go home to my mom, <laughs> and just chill at home with mom. Um, the one person I believe understands more than anyone ever could. Like, yes, I might have lost a sister, but she lost a daughter, so we could, like, be there for each other and encourage each other over the course of the journey. Um, now, I've been in church long enough to know that you don't make decisions about God based on an, an emotional reaction. So I, I made the decision to, I'm going to leave all this stuff not to go wallow, but to go inquire of God. Like, I really want to, to understand what is it that you want to do through this difficult season. Because I was ready to give up, not my life, but I was, I was really ready to, to give up. Um, and I'd love to tell you that in that month that I spent at home, God said this thing. He said nothing. <laughs> he was quiet. Um, uh, but in that whole journey or that whole process, and I'll, I'll get to it as I kind of unpack more of my story as we go, I got to a point of, of stripping away everything that my, my only responsibility when I woke up in the morning was to, was to, in my own way, just spend time with God. However, simply, however, I, sometimes it's bas- I'm bouncing on a basketball outside or whatever it might have been, but wake up, go to gym, come back, eat, chill. Just spend time. That was like my routine for like a period of a month. Um, I spent my time doing all of that and... I read a book by Tim Keller called uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It didn't tell me stuff that I didn't already know, but I was trying to get the truth of what I knew into my spirit. And I'm still on a journey of like really getting that confidence back. Um, but I felt like the Israelites did in, in the portion of scripture that I just read, where going back doesn't really seem like the best solution where it feels like I'm hemmed in on both sides. Back there, there's Pharaoh marching with his chariots and his armies, um, possibly to take us back to years, more years, like more slavery, more uh, captivity. And I'm looking ahead, I'm seeing the Red Sea. And for the black Israelites, they, they couldn't even think I could swim for it. There was, there was no hope for them. So they definitely thought, this is most certainly going to be... <laughs> it's going to be it was a sure death. Um, and I felt like something in me died at that point. Like when I, when I, when I look back, uh, I, you can't go back, obviously. And, so, and I couldn't figure, see the way forward. So you can imagine millions of Israelites now at this point seeing just how hemmed in they are, experiencing this moment of pressure. Their, their response is that of panic and is that of fear. And they begin to point the finger at Moses. Dude, we told you, leave us alone. We would have much preferred to stay in slavery and captivity than to be brought out here to the de- into the desert to die. Now, I don't want to sit on the point of, of um, the pressure that we all experienced. I think it's pretty clear at this point. We all endured some degree of pressure over this last season. However, it might vary for e- from each person to person. 
we all experience some kind of pressure. Some of us to a much greater, greater degree than everybody else. But we were all under pressure. And for the most part, we could not see a way forward and we could absolutely could not go back. We felt hemmed in. And from the conversations that I've had with some of us in our community, we still feel hemmed in right now. It might have been relational pressure, marriage pressure, work pressure, financial pressure, emotional pressure, whatever the pressure you might have experienced, we have all felt pressure and could possibly be feeling pressure right now. We've just gotten so good at hiding it. And I'd like to implore us, actually, to get to a point of opening up our chests and saying, I'm under pressure. Because I think if, if we let the pressure sit and, and stew in our hearts, our response or how we respond to the pressure is, will be from a position of fear. We'll panic and begin to make decisions that others would not have made if we had chosen to respond to it better. So in, the, in, the, in that picture, in that story, millions of people responding in panic and fear, and there was one person who's looking at this situation, the exact same situation that everybody else is looking at, and in his heart, there's, a, there's a, an element of expectancy, not because of, of anything that he's done, but because of the person that, that brought them into that situation. So I'm going to read um, chapter 14, verse 14 quickly. It's going to come up behind me, I think. And this is Moses now. In response to everyone's fear, everyone's cries, everyone's shouting, and he says this, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So Moses, who is experiencing the, in the, is living in the same situation that they are, possibly experiencing the same pressure that they are, and his response to that pressure, I believe, which is why I think that pressure is our privilege, is because of what it does or what it can do in us and not just what it does to us. So pressure does not need your permission to provoke you. This stuff was happening to them and it was poking at their emotional stability. It was poking at, at um, uh, their, their level of faith to a certain degree. It was, hey, you, something's going to happen at this point. You're going to certainly die. Pressure was poking at them. It did not need their permission, but it was poking at all of the Israelites, and to, I believe, even Moses as well, but because of the person that Moses serves. His response to that situation was from a point of, God would not bring us this far. God wouldn't free us from captivity just to leave us to die here. And so his response is, I wonder what God is going to do now. Actually, I believe God is absolutely going to do something right now. We just need to wait and see what that is. Millions of people losing their minds of the pressure that they were, that they were, they were feeling and, the, and um, the weight that they, were, that they were experiencing that pressure in. And there's Moses, who considers that moment of pressure his privilege because he's about to witness what God is about to do next. So when I went home, where it felt like God said absolutely nothing, when I came back to work, 
So, oh, actually, yeah, when I came back to work, was the first time I heard a whisper from God. Something that he pointed out to me that I, that I had missed. I don't want to say what it was, um, but it's just about, about my journey in ministry. Something that I had missed. And I spoke to Paul about it. It's like, hey, this is something that I realized. Tell me how to, how to move forward or give me some advice on how to move forward. So just because God was saying nothing in the moment that I expected him to, did not mean that he was doing nothing. And the adverse of that, just because God does nothing, doesn't mean that he's saying nothing. It was the joy of my heart to get back to work. Like where the thing that I was ready to drop and leave at a moment's notice. But when I came back to work, something in me was like, was, was this is why you're alive. This is why you're here. This is why I put you on this earth. Now here's something that you can do to realign your focus so that you do the thing that I feel that, um, that I've called you to do far better than you might have been doing it before. So the pressure that I experienced, I count as my privilege because of what I see God doing in my heart now. The pressure that you might be experiencing in your own situation, in your own life, I would, I would maybe encourage you to put forth that if you count that as a privilege because of what God might be wanting to do in your heart now or what he might be wanting to do in your heart next. We can't go back. And we know how the story goes. Moses raises his staff and the Red Sea parts. The thing that might be the pressure situation, God is parting the Red Seas so that when you walk on dry land, the emotional pressure, the relational pressure, whatever it, it might be, you will never see that thing again. There's something very interesting that I noted from that portion of scripture as well. Is that, um, is that there, were, there was Moses and there was everyone else. The only thing that, or not the only thing, but one of the things that, contro- that controlled what those people began to profess was their perspective. So the Israelites, their perspective was, here's Pharaoh, definite captivity, here's the Red Sea, certain death. We've, we're going to die. So their perspective dictated what they began to profess. Whereas here's Moses, same situation. His, his perspective was, was, here's Pharaoh, captivity, here's the Red Sea. But at the same time, here's God. So I will respond in faith because of what I believe God is about to do in this particular moment. I think it says, um, it's, he says this, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. He didn't know what God was about to do. He didn't even know that if God was going to do something, yet he still expected that God will do something. I don't know what you might be under right now. I don't know what you might be experiencing. I don't know what you might be feeling. But church, I want to tell you that I will encourage us to open our spiritual eyes and you will see the, Lord will, the, the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. 
let's shift our perspective. God can still be trusted. His character is still absolutely good. And he is still seated on the throne. He is absolutely still God, even if it doesn't feel like it. I'm still walking through the, the difficulty of what I experienced. I'm not going to lie, it's going to take me a, a very long time to come to terms with just how painful it was and how much I lost. But over the weeks that I've been back at work, there's just been this thing ringing in my heart that God can still be trusted. I can still find my confidence in Him. last season church was taken away from us all the, the church courses and life group was, was taken away and the, stuff, the stuff that's that I suppose are like, is like um, Lego that helps make the, the, bigger, the picture look complete like the, the, I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly um, but the thing that helps us in our walk with God is that like, in life group here I have this thing happening here at this church on Sunday the thing that we feel um, gives us the, the oomph for the gumption to continue going. That thing was taken away from us and it was now, it was now just you and your family at home. And for the most part, we've wanted to go back to, to uh, the big church gathering and absolutely, I can't wait for us to get back to some sort of normalcy. But at the same time, I'm wondering if, I really am wondering, if God wants to do something just with you, in your home, with your family. Not saying that we're not going to get back together, not saying that this is going to stop, but now those things, things like life group and courses are cool, like cool add-ons, but your faith should not depend on those things. But really it just depends on your relationship with God. Isaiah tells us to let go of the former things. Behold, I'm doing a new thing not just a new thing in church, a new thing in you. I'm excited for what God is going to do in me from this last season. It's going to be painful, it's going to be a bit of a journey, but I'm excited to, to witness the person I'll be in a few months' time and in the time to come. And that doesn't even depend on what Paul says, what Paul does, what Ross does, what the church and in, in its collective nature chooses to do. Cool. That's nice. But now my posture is, God, what do you want to do in me? And as I join this big church gathering, now I, I know that God put me here for a reason. And I get to express my gifts to add to what God is doing in the greater church context. The best is still absolutely still yet to come. Pressure, church, is our privilege because of what it can do in us if we choose to respond to it well. I want to read a portion of scripture, Psalm 46. 
and I'd like for you to close your eyes as I read it because I want you to hear the words and not necessarily read them on the screen. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam at the mountains quake with their, surge, with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The, dis the disillusions he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth and he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm just going to repeat verse 10. He says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus, we thank you so much. As we look um, towards Easter, where we get to celebrate your life, your death, your resurrection, And just being brought back into the family of, of, of God. That we can take moments such as these where we can be still and know that God is still God. I pray for each of us individually, whatever the pressure that we might be experiencing that we wait with a great expectation for what you're about to do next. As we are still in your presence. Taking the, the posture of Moses where he did not fear. His faith stood firm. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name.